Hey there. Thank you so much for checking out this message with us at Believer's Chapel. Our prayer is that you have a genuine experience with God and that you're able to connect with him in a deeper way as a result of listening to this message. Thank you again. God bless you. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He has never failed us. He has never failed us and he never will. You know, this song says you have never failed me yet. He's never going to. We don't need to, we don't need to sit back and hold our breath like, all right, when's it coming? When's God going to fail me? No, he is never going to fail us. He's never going to fail us. We fail. I'll fail you. You'll fail me, you'll fail each other, and we'll forgive each other, but God will never fail us. He will never fail us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Isn't it beautiful to come into the house of the Lord and worship him together? Such an amazing opportunity to just come and just lift up his name and just let him know that we're grateful for everything that he does. Amen. All right, you may be seated. We are continuing this morning with our series on thought pollution. Hasn't this been an incredible series so far? It's been awesome. You know, our purpose in this series is to take a step back and think about all of the things that are constantly bombarding us all the time. All of the messages that are coming in from everywhere, everywhere we look. You know, we have so much technology. We have so much access to information. We have so much connection with other people that it opens us up to all kinds of messages just coming at us all of the time. So we are going to take some time in this series and especially this morning to step back, to reflect, a moment of reflection can save us from a lifetime of regret. I want you to remember that this morning because we're going to step back to reflect. That a moment of reflection can save us from a lifetime of regret. So one of the messages that we get all the time in our culture, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you haven't noticed it yet, after this morning you will because this message is everywhere, and that is in order to find true fulfillment, we have to follow our own heart, right? The ultimate purpose for any of us is to be happy. And in order to be happy, what we have to do is follow our own heart. Now, I watch some cheesy romance movies. <laughs> some of you may also, once in a while, watch a little cheesy romance movie. And I pretty much, if you watch these kinds of movies, you know, or if someone you love watches these kind of movies, you know, there's never really a huge surprise of what's going to happen in the end of the movie. It's pretty predictable, you know. Oh, that person's going to fall in love with that person. And in the very end, it's going to look like they're not going to be together. And then, oh, lo and behold, five minutes to the hour, 
and they're together, they're happy, and they have this beautiful romantic kiss, right? So there's something else that you can pretty much predict that will happen in almost every single one of these movies, and that is that at some point, somebody is going to tell the main character, you have to follow your own heart. If you're gonna be happy, you have to stop living up to other people's expectations of you, and you have to follow your heart. You have to live your truth. You have to be your authentic self. And it actually sounds really beautiful, and it sounds right. But Elisa Childers says this. She has a book called the Another Gospel, which examines progressive Christianity. It's a fantastic book. She has another one coming out very soon that, that's called Live Your Truth and Other Lies. And the subtitle is Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. And this is one of the things that she talks about, following your own heart, living your own truth. We think that's going to bring fulfillment. We think that's going to make us happy. We think that's going to bring good things in our lives. But what happens is we end up anxious, exhausted, and self obsessed. So I'm going to tell you a little story about myself. When I was pregnant with Zach, he's our second child, I had been struggling with my weight for several years. And I got to the point where I was totally frustrated and discouraged and upset and tired of fighting this battle with my weight. And I thought, you know what? I'm pregnant. You know what pregnant women do? They gain weight. So I am going to stop worrying about my weight. I'm going to eat whatever makes me happy. And then after the baby's born, then I'll get healthy and start working out. And then I'll worry about losing the weight. Everybody say, bad idea. <laughs> so what I thought I wanted was to not have to worry about my weight anymore. What I thought I wanted was to be able to just eat whatever I want and enjoy it, which I did do. And if you don't know me, then you may not know this, but my Achilles heel is ice cream. I love ice cream. <laughs> and I decided I'm going to eat as much ice cream as I want, as much as I want to eat it. So every night after dinner, I had not a small bowl of ice cream, but as much, and usually chocolate peanut butter. Mm. And I enjoyed that, and I thought, I'm doing what makes me happy. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm not going to live up to other people's expectations of what a fit person should look like or the size that I should be. I am going to do what makes me happy, and I'm going to eat what I want. The problem was, I was deceiving myself because that's not what I really wanted. What I really wanted was to be fit and to be healthy and to have energy, right? But I convinced myself that what I wanted was to eat what tastes good. And because of that, I gained so much weight during that pregnancy that after, well, first of all, it not only negatively affected me because of the weight gain, it negatively affected my child who was born 10 pounds even, probably 30 to 40% over what his birth weight should have been because of the amount of sugar that I ate. 
And I asked my doctor the day after Zach was born, I said, why didn't you tell me that I was going to have such a huge baby? I mean, he was 10 days late as well. But he looked at me and said, did you eat a lot of sugar during your pregnancy? And I was like, mm, oops, <laughs> never mind. So, so here I had what I had done affected my child and it affected me negatively because a couple months postpartum, I started trying to eat healthy and get fit and exercise. And let me tell you, that is the worst time to try to change all of your lifestyle habits and get, get healthy when you aren't even sleeping at night, when you have a child, an infant who needs you and a toddler who needs you all of the time, when your body has gone through extreme trauma of giving birth, more so because you had a giant baby because you ate a ton of sugar. All right, you get the point. You may even, one or two of you, may have some idea of what I'm talking about. The rest of you can probably just imagine what it might be like to be self-indulgent to your own destruction. But there are a couple of you who probably have been there as well. Well, listen, we are in very good company. Remember King David? Pastor Rich talked about him a couple weeks ago and how he defeated Goliath. So King David is this amazing man of God, the greatest king that Israel ever had, probably the greatest king the world ever had, a man after God's own heart. That means he loved what God loved. He wanted the things God wanted. He, he gave his life sacrificially to serve God his whole life. He was anointed king and then probably waited 15 or 20 years before he was crowned king. And the current king was looking to murder him that whole time, right? We're not, maybe not the whole time, but a lot of it. And he wouldn't even fight back. He's like, I'm not going to lift a finger against God's anointed, right? So he's this incredible man of God. And yet, what the Bible says about our hearts, Jeremiah 17, 9, says the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Even David, this amazing, mighty man of God, a man after God's own heart, he had a heart that was capable of deceiving him. And when he made the choice to follow his heart, he started this downward spiral that ended up, you would not believe where it took him. But it started with following his own heart. So we're going to take a look at what happened to King David. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, so where should David be? He's the king. He should be out to battle. See, kings in those times were not mainly political leaders or figureheads. They were mainly military leaders. They went out to battle. They led the troops in battle. So it says the time of year when kings are out to battle, David sends the troops out to battle. He sends Joab. He sends everybody out to battle. And the end of the verse says this, but David remained at Jerusalem. This is where things start to go wrong because he is where he shouldn't be. Or to put it another way, he was not where he should have been in this provided opportunity. Now, this is a little bit uh, it's a little bit a comedy of errors, what happens to David. So we're going to take a look. He's at home. It says, it happened late one afternoon. 
verse 2. When David arose from his couch, your translation of the Bible may say bed. In other words, he had been taking a nap. Then he got up and was walking on the roof of the king's house. So he's very busy doing nothing, taking a nap, walking around, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. So he's up there walking around, minding his old, own business, and all of a sudden, whoa, what is this? Now Bathsheba, some people say that she was trying to seduce him and she was out there purposely trying to get the king. But what the scripture tells us is that she was bathing. It was a ritual cleansing because she had just finished her period, which is very important to this story. And she was probably on the roof of her own house or in her own courtyard, but David being in his palace, could look down and see everything. And he just noticed, wow, look at this amazing, beautiful, naked woman. What should David have done? Whoop. <laughs> I don't know who she is, but I know she's not my wife, so I better look away. <laughs> but what did David do? Hmm. Look at that. What do I see? Then verse 3, it says, And David sent and inquired about the woman. He's like, I'm just, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to find out who she is. What harm is that, right? She's pretty good looking, and I want to find out who is this woman. So he sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, one of his servants that he said to find out about who it is, she said, he said, this is, isn't this Bathsheba? She is the daughter of Eliam, who is in the king's army. And she is the wife of, ba of Uriah the Hittite. She's married. He's, he's, you know, trying to, he's talking to the king here. But he's like, listen, she's, her father serves in your army. You know him. He's your friend. Her husband, she is married, serves in the army. He is your friend. They serve you. They're out fighting the battle right now. So that's what... David heard, but what did David focus on? So you're saying her dad and her husband are out of town. <laughs> they're, they're not around right now. That's what I'm hearing, right? Listen, why don't you uh, go get that woman and have her come see me? So he sends messengers, and it says, and he took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, which means it was a ritual bathing because she had just finished her period, which means she was not yet pregnant. Okay? This is important. And then it says, then she returned to her house. All right. Done. David saw. He wanted. He took. He sent her home. Everything's fine. Dad and husband are off to the war. Nobody knows. Nobody's the wiser, right? So a little bit of time goes by. David wakes up one morning. He, you know, rolls out of bed, puts his feet on the floor. He's going to go use the chamber pot, and he decides, you know what? I'm just going to check my text messages before I use the restroom. So he picks up his iPhone and starts scrolling through. Oh, there's Joab. The war's going all right. That's pretty cool. Okay. Oh, here's my kid. Wants to borrow the chariot. 
needs money to feed the horses. Oh, wait a minute. Bathsheba. I remember her. Ooh la la. That was fun. Let me see what she has to say. Opens up the message. Whoa. Wait a minute. What did Bathsheba say? Three words. I am pregnant. And he knew when he saw her that she was cleansing from her period and her husband was out of town. So he knows who the father of this baby is. Now, it wasn't an iPhone. So, you know, he unrolled this scroll. I don't know what it was. It says Bathsheba sent him a letter, sent him a message and said, I am pregnant. What should David have, have done? Repent. Oh, God, I am so sorry. I messed up, and now there's some pretty big consequences. But what did David do? Ooh, no one can know about this. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So he thinks, how can, I, how can I hide? How can I get away with this? How can nobody know? What I? Ah, I have an idea. Everybody say, bad idea. <laughs> bad idea, David. So he says, all right. Okay, I'm going to send for, and I encourage you, I don't, we're not going to have time to go through this whole story. You've got to read it later. And look at how many times the word send or sent is used. He sent a message. He sent for Bathsheba. He sent her away. He sent a message. Joab sent Uriah over and over again. It's like this whole comedy of errors of everybody sending this and sending that and trying to cover. So he sends word to Joab. He's like, I have an idea. Joab, send Uriah the Hittite to come talk to me. So Uriah comes back from the battle. David, you know, here comes Uriah, comes into the throne room, wherever David was. And David's like, so, Uriah, what's up? Uh, how's, uh, how's Joab? How's Joab doing? Oh, cool, cool, cool. Uh, how's, oh, how are the people? How are the soldiers doing? Ah, cool, cool, cool. So the war, the war's going good? Mm, all right, great, thanks. Okay, all right, well, I guess that's all I needed to know. Go on home. Bye. <laughs> Go home. Go be with your wife. So David's like, oh, Uriah leaves. He's like, oh, he's going to go home to his beautiful wife. He's going to sleep with her. He's going to think the child is his. Problem solved. Well, David wakes up the next morning, and the problem is not solved because Uriah, instead of sleeping with his wife in his own home, he slept with the servants outside David's doors. And David's like, oh, no, what is going on? Why did he not go home? He was supposed to go home and sleep with his wife, and everything's going to be taken care of. So he says, Uriah, come here, come here, come here. All right, so Uriah comes in. David's like, why didn't you go home and sleep with your beautiful wife and relax, enjoy being home? And Uriah answers him and says uh, in verse 11, Uriah said to David, the ark and the Israel and Judah dwell in booths. They're out in tents on the battlefield. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and your, as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Now think about David. Uriah is saying this to David, to the king. Our army is out on the battlefield. I'm not going to come home and sleep with my own wife when everybody's out there risking their lives when I should be on the battlefield. He's saying to the king, who should have been on the battlefield, who slept with Uriah's wife. And he said, I would not do such an unrighteous thing. I would never do that. So David repents. I'm so sorry, right? 
Is that what David did? No. David said, oh, oh he's starting to sweat, right? He start, his stomach's starting to gurgle. Oh, man, this guy, is, this guy is too good. I don't know what to do. He's like, okay, listen, listen, Uriah, Uriah. I have an idea. I have an idea. Just stay one more day. And tomorrow you can come and eat in my house. And then you can go back to the battlefield after that. So Uriah comes over to eat with the king who keeps fill up his wine, fill up his wine, fill up his wine. And he purposely got Uriah drunk because he figured surely when he's drunk, he's going to start thinking about his house and his bed and his beautiful wife and he's going to go home. Problem solved. But David wakes up the next morning. Problem not solved. Here's this downward spiral. Have you ever walked into a spider web and it just gets stuck to you everywhere and you just can't seem to get it off and the more you try to get it off, the more it feels like it's all over you? This is what's happening to David right now. All right, so he, he wakes up the next morning and says, okay, Uriah was drunk. He must have gone home to sleep with his wife. Everything's covered. Everything's hidden. Problem solved. No. Once again, Uriah slept outside the door with his servants and did not go home to his wife. So David should have admitted defeat. <laughs> I am unable to cover up my sin. I need to repent. What did David do? Verse 14, it says, In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He's sitting here, scribbling down. Uriah's over there watching him. Don't look. Don't peek. I'm writing something. <laughs> no, fold it up. Here, give this to Joab. What did this letter say? Verse 15. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may st be struck down and die. Here is a man after God's own heart. A man who wants what God wants. A man who loves what God loves. And he, you can read in the Psalms where he writes about God's commandments and God's word and says, I love your commandments. Your commandments are good. Your commandments bring me life. Well, a couple of the commandments are do not commit adultery and do not murder. And yet David is so self-obsessed. He'd gotten so anxious. He'd gotten so exhausted with this trying to hide. He's got, he'd gotten so self-obsessed that now he's willing to kill someone to cover up his sin. And not only that, when, when Joab did this and he pulled back from Uriah, not just Uriah died, but all the soldiers who were fighting around him. So when this happened, Joab sends word back to David and he's like, listen, just so you know, I got really close to the walls where I knew valiant men were fighting and we lost some of our people. But he says to the messenger, listen, the king is going to freak out when he finds out this horrible battle strategy, how we got too close and how we lost some of the men fighting for us. So make sure to tell him when you tell him what happened that Uriah is dead. So he, the messenger comes and says, listen, this is what happened. We got the battle. We took the battle too close to the walls, near valiant men. Several men were lost. But just so you know, Uriah the Hittite is dead. So David, instead of freaking out like he normally would have, why did you do that? Why did you put these men's life at risk? He says, oh, oh, well, you know, 
people die. Sometimes people die. The sword kills one and sometimes another. These things happen. It's all right. Go back to the battle. Everything's fine. And then we see in verse 26, it seems like finally he got away with it. Chapter 11, verse 26 says this. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband or mourned for him. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and she bore him a son. Finally, it's all over with. He took care of all of the consequences. He cleaned up his own mess. Uriah is taken care of. Everybody thinks he's a hero because he took in the poor, pregnant, widowed wife of a soldier who died in battle. Everything's good. Everything's wonderful. But the end of this verse says this. But the thing David had done had displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. Now, if at any moment during this downward spiral that David was caught up in, that started with just being in the wrong place at the wrong time and ended with multiple homicides, if at any point he had stepped back to reflect and said, is this what God wants me to do? Should I be following my own heart here? And doing what makes me happy? Is this really what God wants for me? If he had taken a moment to reflect on what God wants, it would have saved him from a lifetime of regret. Now what happens after this? You can read this later on on your own. The prophet Nathan comes and, and he comes to David and he says, I have a message from God. He said, listen, there were these two men in this village a really rich guy who had everything he could ever want. And a really poor man who had one lamb. That's all he had. And he loved that lamb like his own child. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came, and to do the hospitable thing, the rich man said, I'm going to feed him. We're going to have a feast. But I'm not going to take from my own lambs. I'm going to take the poor man's lamb and I'm going to feed that to the traveler. So he took the poor man's lamb, he killed it and fed it to the traveler. So David hears this story and he freaks out because David knew the difference between right and wrong. He knew that this was not just. He knew that this was not right. He knew that he should be infuriated that someone who had everything took the one thing from someone who only had one thing. He knew that. So when he heard it, he said, this man should die for what he's done. He needs to pay back four times what he took and he needs to die. And Nathan says to him, you are that man. You are that man. You had everything. God gave you everything your heart could desire, and it wasn't enough for you. So you took the one thing that belonged to somebody else. Why? Because you decided to follow your own heart to do what makes you happy, and it blinded you from the consequences to yourself, to Bathsheba, to Uriah, to all the other men who died in the battle because of it, to, the, to all the other men's families 
who lost their husbands and their sons and their fathers to cover up David's sin because he chose to follow his own heart. He became so self-obsessed and so blind that he couldn't even see this downward spiral he was on. If the devil came to David and said, I want you to murder a bunch of guys in your own army, he never would have done that. Never, 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 never. So the devil comes in and just very sneakily says, hey, check out that naked chick. You should find out what her name is. And slowly, David starts following his own heart. Yeah, she looks good. I'm just going to find out her name. Oh, you know what? Her dad and her husband are out of town. I'm just going to have her come up to the palace. And slowly he goes down. He gets caught in this spider web. He gets caught in this downward spiral. When if he had taken a moment to reflect and said, what does God want me to do? Right? So today, what does this have to do with us? We need to, we need to be honest with ourselves about the condition of our own hearts. We need to listen to the messages of the world and say, not only does this sound good, but is this true? Does this really work? Does following my own heart always bring me on the best path? This is what scripture says in Galatians. Chapter 6, verse 7 says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So you might be, uh, you might be just, your heart might be saying, just eat that extra bowl of ice cream. What's that going to hurt? It's going to make you feel good. It's going to make you happy. Or your heart might be saying, I'm just looking at pictures that people voluntary, voluntarily allowed to be taken of themselves. What's that going to hurt? I'm just enjoying it. This is what my heart wants. Maybe your heart is saying, you know, I need that extra glass of wine at the end of the day to unwind. I, it feels good. It helps me deal with life. And all of a sudden, we're, we're getting caught in those little things that start to pull us into this, this follow-your-own-heart mentality that leads to exhaustion and anxiety and self-obsession. And we need to, this morning, take a step back and reflect. Reflect. Just say, Lord, what is the condition of my heart? Now, the interns and I are working on some scripture memory. And the, verse, the two verses that we are memorizing right now come from Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. And it says, search my heart, God. Search my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive, your verse might, your translation may say, uh, grievous or wicked. See if there's any offensive, grievous, wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, God knows better than we know. 
When we choose to reflect on what God wants and listen to the path that he has for us, we're going to be in a much, much better place than if we try to follow our own heart and figure it out on our own. So we need to recognize the condition of our own hearts. Search me, God, and know my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the path everlasting. Recognize the condition of our own hearts. The second is we need to repent. Finally, after David was confronted, we see in chapter 12 that finally he says, I have sinned against the Lord. He finally confesses. This is why he's a man after God's own heart. Because he always came back to God. He always repented. Even though he was in this horrific place, horrific The judgment should have been death. And God said, I'm going to have mercy on you. You're not going to die because of this. But there will be consequences for the rest of your life. The child that Bathsheba was pregnant with died. His son Absalom ended up rebelling against him and ended up dying. There was a strife in his house. Nathan says, the prophet says, the sword will never leave your house because of this. Because you have given your children the example to take what you want to follow your heart, and now there's going to be consequences for that. So there's mercy and there's consequences. But here's the thing. You know what David did besides repent? He received the forgiveness. He received the forgiveness. So we're going we're gonna, to um, have the prayer team come up, and Bernie can come out uh, whenever you're ready. Have the, we're going we're gonna to receive some forgiveness. We're going to take a moment to reflect this morning, and we're going to say... Lord, search my heart. Is there an offensive way in me? You know, you might, you might think, well, I'm not, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not committing murder. But Jesus says, don't even lust after someone in your heart. Jesus says, don't even hate somebody. Because if you hate them, you might as well have murdered them. If you lust after them, you might as well have committed adultery. Well, who can do this? Who can never lust and never hate? Who can never walk in unforgiveness or resentment or anger? Who can, who can walk in righteousness all the time? None of us can without Jesus. Jesus is the one who enables us to stand against temptation, to stand against sin. Jesus is the one who can open our eyes to our own hearts and say, listen, you've got a little resentment there that you need to deal with. You've got a little unforgiveness that you need to deal with. You're messing with temptation and you need to deal with that before the spider web is all wrapped up and you're trying to hide and things are escalating. You can see this. We're going to look at this really quickly, just this downward spiral of King David. So first it starts with opportunity. Do we have that? He was, in, he was someplace he shouldn't have been. He should have been out fighting the battle. Are you someplace you shouldn't be when you should be on your knees fighting the battle? Are you providing an opportunity? Are you, are you watching things you shouldn't watch, listening to things you shouldn't be listening to, going to places you shouldn't be in that allow you to be presented now with temptation? And now you have to face temptation. Maybe you've gotten past temptation and you're pursuing the thing that your eyes are telling you that you want. 
Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's ice cream. Maybe it's alcohol. Whatever that is, are you in a place of pursuing that lust? Are you in a place where you have embraced sin? After the pursuit, he embraced sin. He's like, I'm just going to go for it. And because of that, there were consequences. And when he didn't face the consequences, because of that, he ended up having to hide and deceive and try to cover up. And everything just escalated until finally, in the end, he's murdering all these people because he never, he never took the time to reflect and say, is this what God wants? And it looks for a minute like he got away with it. Maybe you're here today and you, you know some stuff that none of us know that you've done or you've been through. And you're like, I think I've gotten away with it. But if it displeases the Lord, you need to deal with it today. If there's something that you have done or are doing that displeases the Lord, you need to deal with it today. You need to repent and receive that forgiveness. So we're gonna pray. We've got some people up here for the prayer team. If we have some more, if there are other elders or more people from the prayer team, you can come up. And we're gonna pray for a couple things. The first thing that we're gonna pray for is for salvation. If you've never committed your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can't do any of this on your own. We need to admit that our hearts are prone to deception and that we need Jesus. Amen? So if that's you today, it's very easy. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I can't do it without you. I know that you are the Son of God and you died for my sins and I commit my life to you and I ask you to come in and be my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive the things that I've done wrong and through your Spirit, help me to choose the things that are right. Amen? If you are doing that today, you can come forward and ask the prayer team to pray with you. You can even text if you're doing that at home. You can text 444-2100 and just say, I need Jesus. We'll get back to you and someone will pray with you. Now, I know that many of us today have already done that. We've already committed our life to Jesus. So I'm asking you today to reflect and just say, search my heart. God, search my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Don't think about everybody else around you. Don't think about, oh, so-and-so's done worse than me. I know there are so many people have done so many worse things than I've done. I, have, I didn't do anything near what King David did. No, today we're just gonna step back and reflect because a moment of reflection can save us from a lifetime of regret. Amen. So if you need prayer for that, come forward. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If you need prayer for any of this, please come forward. Or if you know somebody else who desperately needs prayer, come forward and we will pray for them. Amen. Let's not leave this place unchanged. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that you love us, that you know what's best for us that you recognize the condition of our hearts and that you are here to forgive us when we repent. We just ask that whatever you need to prick in us today, that you would prick that and that we would respond, that we would repent and that we would receive your forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't leave this place without getting prayed for. God bless you and have an awesome week. Thank you again for checking out this message. If you would like help taking your first steps on your faith journey, 
you can text the number 315-444-2100 and include the word Jesus in your text. We're going to follow up with you and help you get started. God bless you and thank you again.